we keep on, we won't even have any room to grow in those. And um, so I want you to help me. And besides when we have a big Texans game, I notice a lot of you folk, well, I'm not talking to you because you, you're here, but some of our folk go to the 915. We need, we need to hurry up and fill up the services so they can't do that. Amen. You know what I'm talking about. But God bless you. Great to see you. I'm dealing with some things that I think are very important. Kingdom keys to an abundant life. Our text has been from Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22, where we've been talking about the preeminence of the Word of God. Give attention to God's words. Climb your ear to His sayings and let them not depart from our eyes, but keep them in the midst of our heart. Why did God say keep them in the midst of our heart? Because He knows there's always something trying to take over the sinner position in your life that wants to dominate center stage. Yes. Whether it's human opinion, whether it's the influence of friends, something is trying to take over center stage, and you need to know that in your life. Now, if you keep them in the midst of your life, he says, their life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. What does that mean, health to all their flesh? I've shown you already the Hebrew word for health literally is a medicinal term. It means medication. It means a medicine, a prescription. And I've also shared there's seven areas of your life briefly. I taught you that a couple of three years ago. Financial dimension or component, social. There's the family component, the emotional, the cognitive. There is the physical component, which has to do with your health. The spiritual component, a total of seven. And if you are hurting in any one of those areas, your whole life is hurting. It's like having a backache. When your back is hurting, you're hurting. It's not just, oh, this one little part right here in the middle of my back, lower down, you know, it's about this big, that's hurting. Uh-uh, you're hurting all over, baby, I can tell you. And the same thing is true with financial stress. If you have financial problems, you're experiencing emotional stress. It will affect your family. It will even affect your relationship with God. Now, God's word is case specific. That is, there's something in the Bible that addresses every one of these areas. Here's the problem. I'm teaching right now on turning doubts into faith. The reason is the problem that I'm about to describe. Medicine does you no good while it's just in the medicine cabinet. Or on the shelf. You've got to take it and use it. You've got to follow the directions. That your doctor. Your physician gives you. And similarly. You know where this medicine ends up. Coffee tables. Shelf on, in the library. Book, bookshelf. You know. People don't take the prescription. That God gives them as a result. They don't experience healing. Why do they put it there? It's because. There has been an unprecedented attack against the credibility of the Bible. So I've addressed these issues such as, is there a God? Secondly, is the Bible the word of God? Thirdly, were you created or evolved? How did you really get here? And does it even matter what you believe? And I've given you scientific proof from the latest, as it were, research to show you there is a God. There's too much harmony there's too much synchronicity in all of nature for there to be anything less than that. I've shown you that you couldn't have evolved nano uh, 
molecular studies have indicated that your body is extremely complex beyond the, the original beliefs of, of scientists and researchers to a degree it never could have gotten there by itself. I've shown you the Word of God is true in so many different areas. I've given you ways to, to look at it, to show and prove to you that it is true. And now I come to this. Twelve immutable laws of destiny. Why? Twelve immutable laws of destiny. Why would I talk about that? Because if there is a God, and if His Word is true, and if you were divinely created and didn't evolve, you need to ask yourself, why are you here? Do you have a purpose? And I can assure you, you do. Last Sunday... I'll just throw this out there. I even preached on, taught on how should a Christian vote. And I didn't lean you toward one position or another. That's for you to do. Just make sure you vote. Too many people have died and shed blood for you to have that privilege to not take advantage of it. But I have cautioned you to not fall into this, this trap of believing that man has all the answers when he doesn't. We had in the, certain, the 915 service people from Russia today. And I can tell you, having been to Russia, been in some countries that are extremely totalitarian in terms of their, their dictator-style leaderships, they don't have a vote. Or if they have one, it's in name only. But they know when they place their ballot that the ballot box is already going to be stuffed the way that the authorities in power want the election to go. And I can tell you this, don't be looking to men to provide solutions because the simple truth of the matter is our Father is not in Washington, D.C. Our Father, which, is, it, it, which art in heaven, is the one we're supposed to be looking to. And I even taught you last week in conclusion that it is looking to man for the answers that the Bible says ultimately will set the stage for the coming of the man of sin, the Antichrist. You get to believing man has the answers. There's going to come a guy that's going to say, I, I'm, I'm your guy. I'm your man, and you're going to find out, according to Scripture, the world will find this out, that that man is actually evil incarnate and the Antichrist. So all of these questions that we've asked are designed to address this matter of doubt. Like the man on the mountain, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. We're addressing real issues now, and in these 12 immutable laws of destiny, I make this point again. That when I say immutable, it means never changing. You can't suspend these laws. You can't even break them. To break them means they are no longer in a state of repair. They no longer function. There's nothing you can do to break the natural laws of the universe, such as gravity, the laws of entropy, the law of inertia, for example, the law of centrifugal force. I could go on and on with these. The law of attraction, you know, all of these things that exist in nature exist, and you don't break them. If you try to break them, you're the one that gets broken. And so you can try to break the law of gravity, and gravity's going to go on fine, but you're going to be broken. Amen. They're not going to say, look, it's a, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. They're going to say, look, it's a pancake. It's, it's, you know, because you don't break the law of gravity. Amen. And one of the most important and primary secrets of success in life is to learn that those who are successful have become successful because they have made these laws work for them. And like the aeronautical engineer that designs the wing of an aircraft, 
a 747 to cause aerodynamic laws to apply that will lift a plane and suspend, as it were, temporarily the forces of gravity because of aerodynamic engineering. You can make your life soar if you can make these principles work for you. And that's what people who are successful have done. They have discovered one or more of these natural laws and they're working with them. Similarly, and this is the big surprise, there's a whole spirit world more real than even the physical world that is governed by spiritual laws. And when you make these work for you, you become hugely successful and fulfilled in life. Many people don't realize that's what the Bible is all about. The Ten Commandments, they think, are God's dictatorial way of saying, you got to do what I do and you got to jump through my hoops. No, God has given you laws to success. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, all of these things, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, spiritual principles, that if you apply them, will cause your life to experience huge success, and that is God's plan for your life. And so one of these areas that we address in terms of the spiritual existence of the world around us, the fact it's just as real as the physical dimension, one of these areas we look at is destiny. If there is a God, and I'm here because he created me, then why is the big question. And so today, I want to look at several more of those laws. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will cause us to see who we are and reveal to us our identity as believers in Jesus' name. Help us to know who we are in God because so many of us don't. Help us to find the reason for which we were made by you and then to fulfill those purposes in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Let me quickly rehearse. I gave you six. The first was everything God made has a purpose. He didn't make anything without a purpose. Number two, that since he made you, that means you have a purpose. Amen. Number three, when he created you, he equipped you with gifts and released the resources. When he created you, he released the resources in the heavenlies that you must have to fulfill that destiny. Everything God does in your future he already knows before he does it. Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse 10. This is what God said. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us. When did God prepare your good works? In advance. Before you were ever born. God prepared your future, your destiny for you. This is why he told Jeremiah. Before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you. Before you were conceived, I ordained you to be a prophet to the nation. I've already put everything inside of you that needs to be there. Surprise, surprise. You don't need anything else from outside. That's why you can't blame anybody and say, if this one had done me right or that one, I would have a great destiny. No, everything you need is already there. Yes, it is. God has always indicated that. Look at scripture. Moses, what do you have in your hand? 
What is in your hand right now? It's nothing but a staff. Wait a minute, Moses. You don't know what I'm getting ready to do. I don't need anything else. What is already in your hand? What did the little lady who came to the prophet discover when she said, they're about to take my children away to be bond servants? He asked one question. What do you have in your house? What's already there? You're not looking for something outside. When Jesus was about to feed the multitude, what was the question? The question was simply this. How many loaves and fishes do you have right now? Well, we only have a few, but what is that in the face of so many? Hello, somebody? God uses what he has right now. I'll give you an example of that. I'm getting ready to anoint Sister Connie Strahan. Let me tell you. We are reaching this city, reaching out to touch Houston, Texas, the east side particularly and various other parts of the city because we have members that drive from all over. We don't need to sit and wait for somebody else to come and help us do our job. I wish I could get a better amen. God's already put in this house the people who are supposed to be here to fulfill our destiny and our ministry. And I'll tell you what, those who weren't here ended up here somehow. Give you an example of that, Sister Connie Strahan. We're going to ordain her in just a moment. But she's going, today we're releasing her. She won't leave the church. She's my spiritual daughter. She, we're ordaining her to go into the fifth ward as a part of the Global Force Young Adult Ministry Program. She's heading up a community center project there for the church and for the ministry that's transforming lives. If you know anything about the fifth ward, you know it is generation after generation after generation of poverty and gangs and drugs and crack houses. And she's going in there to represent us as, as an agent of Christian tabernacle in the kingdom of God today. Amen. And head up a community outreach project, project teaching life skills, getting people delivered. Well, let me tell you her story. You know when she came to join us and that terrible hurricane that hit New Orleans because that's where she's from. And when people were fleeing for their lives, some of them ended up in Houston and she was one of them. And after everything settled down, many went back home. Some didn't. Some are still wandering around looking for a place. Not her. You know what she did? She came here and said, God must want me here. Rolled up her shirt sleeves and if we have anybody in the church that's busy, I mean 24-7, it's Connie Strahan. She has embraced the vision of this house and this ministry. Amen. And so she has become a part of this church family and has accepted our DNA, who we are. And I mean, she's one of the most loyal and dedicated people that I know. That's who we're sending there. Just turn to somebody and say, it's already in the house. Would you do that? Look at the person and say, whatever God's called you to do, it's already in the house. The resources, the giftings are there. You just haven't found them yet. You just haven't prayed for them to be released in a breakthrough yet. Come on, somebody. It just hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. It's going to. Speaking of that, Sister Connie, come right now. And our pastors that are in the building, I want you to extend your right hand toward her with me. Because we're going to pray over her right now. It's one of the most lovely and loyal ladies we have in our church. Extremely devout and dedicated. Hallelujah. Extend your right hand toward her. And I want us to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
we ordain and release her to this place that you've called her to serve and this responsibility. And we know the enemy is not going to be pleased with her efforts, but we ask you to protect her, raise up a wall of fire around about her, release in her the ability to inspire others to the infectious Christianity that she herself demonstrates every day. Lord, let them know the joy of the Lord that she has found. And whatever the dimension of your glory, your honor, your presence, your anointing, your grace that is on this house, we give that to her. In the name of Jesus, we say it. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. I will actually have her greet you at some times in the future, but because of the limitations for time, I wanted to do it this way today. But just extend your right hand toward her and say, we bless you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You need to know that, that God's already put the gifts inside of you. He equipped you with that. Not only that, everything he gives you, he gives you in seed form. Number five. That's why it's your responsibility to grow and develop it. It won't ever grow if you don't develop it. Number six, when you achieve the purposes for which he created you, three things will happen. You're going to experience fulfillment, peace, and satisfaction like you never knew were earthly possible. Not in this world did you think it could happen, but it will. Number two, Kingdom purposes and objectives will be furthered. And number three, you will bring him glory and honor as your creator. That's what happens. So moving on to number seven. What is the seventh irrevocable, immutable spiritual law concerning destiny? Satan, hear me, this is it. Satan always opposes the development of your gifts or seeks to subvert their use to further the objectives of his fallen kingdom. Just as he opposes the release of the resources that will fund your destiny. I need you to know that when you get serious about doing what God called you to do, the devil does not like it. The devil's going to get stirred up, amen, and oppose that. And too many people have the mistaken idea that if I'm in the will of God, that means it's smooth sailing. No, it's smooth sailing when you're out of the will of God. You've been taught the wrong thing. Well, I'll get out of the will of God. Everything's going to go bad. And the enemy, you know, and I'm going to have so much trouble. No, it's when you get in the will of God that the enemy starts fighting. You say, is that really in the Bible? Yes, it is. Paul said, pray for me. For there is a great and effectual door opened. And there are many adversaries. When do adversaries show up? When you get in the middle of the will of God. That's when you start having hell on this earth. And some of you are saying, oh, I must be out of the will of God, pastor. I'm, I tried to do something for God and I had all this trouble. No, that meant you were stirring the devil up because you were doing something right. Amen. And somebody else said, if that's the case, I just won't do anything and I'll have peace. No. Because you're going to live with emptiness on the inside. And I'll tell you something else. The devil can't lay a glove on you as long as you're in the will of God. He can try and cause hell to happen in your life. 
but you're going to come through it still smiling and experiencing joy like you've never known. Satan seeks to oppose the development of those gifts. And guess what? God lets him. Now, some of you are rebuking that in Jesus' name right now. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. God doesn't do any such thing. God protects me. Oh, no. God backs away and says, here they are. And allows the enemy to try and oppose the development of your gifts. Yes, he does. You know why God does that? Three very important reasons, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, to prove to you that you have what it takes. Not to prove to him, he already knows he's the one that put it in you, but to show you what he's put in you, God will allow opposition to come. I think of Gideon, Judges chapter 6, for seven consecutive years, the Midianites had come in, and it's significant to note when they came. They always showed up just before the harvest was ripe. And for seven years, they showed up, not because they needed the harvest. No, they burned it to the ground. And the children of Israel were impoverished, living in poverty and hiding in thickets and in in the woods and caves and the mountains. The Bible says it. And Gideon was threshing wheat. He managed to get some wheat before the enemy came, but he was threshing it at the wine press. Clue. You ready? Clue, little insight. You don't thresh wheat at the wine press. You thresh wheat at the threshing floor. You crush grapes at the wine press. Why was he threshing wheat at the wine press? Because he thought that if the the Midianites are here to destroy the harvest, they're going to go to the threshing floor. I'll thresh wheat at the wine press. They won't find me. he's, He's being a coward, but he's trying. He's afraid, but he's trying. And an enemy walks up. And there's really a lot of humor in the Bible. You just have, need to know how to look for it. Uh, the, an angel walks up, rather, and says, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. And said, uh, and to paraphrase, Hello, you brave man, you. <laughs> now I want you to see that. You're expecting the enemy and an angel shows up. And you're already doing this. And he says, Hello. And you look up and see an angel. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, I'll fall down on my knees, do the sign of the cross, sing Ave Maria. You know, I'll do it. No, you're not. You're going to do what Gideon did. You're going to run. That's what you're going to do. It probably took him three counties to catch Gideon. Amen. <laughs> you know I'm telling you the truth. Gideon is running for his life. He's afraid. The angel gets him stopped, and this is what God tells him. In the book of Judges, chapter number 6, verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, your might, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? God didn't say you're going to go in my might. He said you're going to go in yours. You think that you're weak. And Gideon's response is, but I'm from the least, the smallest family of the smallest tribe in Israel. I'm the least significant one in my family. God said, you got it wrong, buddy. I made you. I know what I put in you. And I want you to go in your might because you're going to find out something. You're going to discover what I put in you. 
And you see, one reason that God allows the enemy to try and oppose you is you're going to find out in the middle of your test that God put something in you you didn't even know was there. It's already in the house. I I need somebody to turn to their neighbor and say, it's already in the house. Yes, it is. High five somebody and say, what's that in your hand? Would you do that? How many loaves do you already have? You're trying to count what's missing. God wants to show you what's already there. You're complaining about what you don't have. God's saying you need to focus on what you do have. Hello, somebody. Woo! The enemy doesn't want you to develop your gift. But he's so, if I can say this, brain damaged. You say he's brain damaged? Yeah, didn't the Bible say in the book of Genesis that God in prophesying the coming of the Messiah foretold it this way, that the seed of the serpent will bruise the heel of the woman's seed, but the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. Devil's got brain damage, had it ever since Calvary, amen. Because God stepped on him, amen, messed him up. If it wasn't for that, he ought to be smart enough to figure out that God's using me to fulfill the kingdom objectives. You see, you don't get away from God. Not even the devil gets away from God. God will use even, oh, I didn't say that, did I? You say, Pastor, you're getting a little out there saying God can even use the devil. Sure, he uses the devil. Only the devil hadn't been smart enough to figure it out yet. That's right. And Satan is seeking to oppose you, but God's using him to develop you. In the same way that a boxer faces an opponent in the ring and sharpens his skills, every time you face the enemy, you're developing your skill, your gifting, your talents. And that's the second reason that God allows the devil to oppose you is not just to show you what's in you, but for you to be able to develop what's in you. Can somebody in the building say that's right? Satan will seek to, first of all, keep you from developing. But how many of you know that whenever you begin to pursue God, he will reveal to you your purpose? And this is why so many times the enemy says, don't seek God. Don't consecrate your life. Don't become passionate about God. Because if you do, it's going to cost you, man. It's going to cost you big time. And you're going to feel some pain. You know, you're going to have to give up the things you like. That's the way the enemy talks. You're going to have to give up the things you enjoy. And we have this idea that if we become committed Christians, we're going to be called to be celibate missionaries in Borneo somewhere, you know? Yeah, that's, that's right. Reminds me of the the abbot of a monastery. He had been promoted all of these years, spent in the cellar copying the same text over and over. And one day he went down to the cellar to see the original text, the ones he had never read. And he suddenly there was a loud scream and the, the other monks in the monastery heard him. Ah! And they went downstairs and he's sobbing and he's crying. And they said, what's the matter? What's the matter? And he's pointing at one of the texts he had never read. And it says, he said, it says celebrate, not celibate, celebrate. celebrate not celibate we get the idea if we consecrate he's going to cause us to be celibate and be missionaries no you need to understand that whatever you feel passion for is probably already related to your destiny 
Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. First of all, Satan tries to keep you away from that area. Doesn't want you to get near it, but when you start getting close to it, you feel passion. A fire begins to burn on the inside, and you get this idea. This has to do with my future, man. I want to be involved in this. And, and as you get closer to it, the flames burn more brightly. And the enemy starts trying to push you back. But I want to tell you something. Once you touch that, you don't ever want to let it go. You never do. You see, God's not going to make you do stuff you don't want to do. He said if you delight yourself in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. He will let you find out why you were born. He will let you tap into the reason you were here. Amen. You will discover passion like you've never known. And so once the enemy discovers he can't talk you out of it, then what he does is tries to to subvert it and pervert it for his purposes. Yes, he does. And he's become a master at that. All you have to do is, I've said this before, look at the entertainment industry. From Hollywood and movies to rock stars and R&B musicians, they all got their start in church. Kevin Costner started in church. I mean, one after another, and I've researched some of them. Whitney Houston, Kevin is telling his story, Whitney Houston's funeral. Just like she got started in church, so did he. One after another, you, you look at these people who are the megastars of, of today, and many of them started right here on church platforms. But when they reached a certain place, the enemy said, you can't, you can't develop that here. You've got to go out there. And once they became successful, they were using, they're now using their talent to turn and lead people away from the kingdom of God rather than toward it. Satan subverted the reason. That God gave them that destiny. It was to build the kingdom. Now he's using it to destroy the kingdom and lead people the wrong way. And it's not just in entertainment. It's in every area and field you can possibly imagine. Even making money. Yeah, I'm serious. You say, Pastor, do you believe that there's a calling to make money? Yeah, I do. I do. Some people are called to be financiers in the kingdom of God. Yes, they are. Amen. That's, that, that's one of the spiritual gifts. <laughs> I personally believe there are many more than just nine. Why spiritual? Because they're related to destiny. And when you fulfill destiny, you bring him glory. When you bring him glory, the kingdom is built. Hello. So they're all spiritual in that regard. Never will forget, I was preaching in Los Angeles one time years ago. Jerry will remember this. And it was a, a, an inner city church I was preaching for, an African-American congregation primarily. And the pastor was a great man and was celebrating while I was there his 25th anniversary as senior pastor. And they had done so much in the community. They had transformed the inner city. I mean, setting people free from drug addiction and shutting down crack houses and poverty eradication programs and teaching life skills. And many of those people that were drug addicts or prostitutes or people on the streets had gotten saved and now were leading businessmen in the city of L.A. You know what they did? On his 25th anniversary as senior pastor, they bought him a Rolls Royce. And he put me up in one of the most posh hotels in Los Angeles. I have to tell you, I'm sitting there in the middle of all of this wealth and this splendor and this Rolls Royce drives up in front of this ornate hotel. And I'm looking through the glass windows and I notice everybody is staring out the window and they're whispering and pointing and, 
And I couldn't help myself. I got up and went, <clears throat> there's my ride. Y'all have a good day. <laughs> I'm sorry. If that was carnal, just pray for me. I need the prayer. You need the practice. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And I was there a number of days. Oh, yeah. When that meeting was over, I felt it. I felt the call to be rich. And let me be real plain with you so you'll understand what my real heart is. I realize that I could make a lot of money in the business world. I know that. I know because leadership principles are the same in the kingdom and out. But I've laid that aside. You know why? Because I'm here to build a church. The same anointing that I have that gathers people can gather money. But I do that to build the kingdom of God. And that's why we've gone from less than 100000 a year to a budget that's, that's several million dollars a year. In the time we've been here, God's been good to us. But listen, there are people whose calling and gifting and life was to make money, to fund missions, to build churches. And Satan subverted that as well and perverted it to purposes that are now destructive. Now, I'm a pastor. You don't be offended by what I'm going to say, but I'm going to talk plain right now. And you need to understand that I'm here to preach the Bible, and my first obligation is to him and not even to as much as I love you. It's not to you. It's, it's to God. And at the end of the day, you can fill out a report card on me, and I appreciate any comments that will help me. But at the end of the day, you need to know he's the one grading the test. And I have to tell you something. Okay, I'm not saying that to be offensive. I'm just prefacing what I'm about to say so you can receive it in the spirit of love in which I give it. Listen. One of the founders of Microsoft with Bill Gates is using his billions to fund the legalization of gay marriages, funding funding abortion and, and promoting all of that around the world. I'm serious. These are guys that go into third world countries and tell them, we will give you millions to help support your infrastructure if you will legalize gay marriages. That's what they're telling East Africa right now while I'm in this pool today. I'm not making that up. And some of you are originally from Africa and you know full well what I'm talking about. Look. Did God give him a gift to make money? Yes. But instead of him building the kingdom, he's using the very thing God gave him to tear the kingdom down and ruin lives. Why? Because Satan subverted that gift. And we ought to be praying for people like that. Not casting stones at him and cussing him. We ought to be blessing him with salvation in the name of Jesus. I'm praying for you to have a God encounter. That's what we ought to be saying. Amen. So you can discover the reason for which you were given this destiny. Satan seeks to oppose it and subvert it. Amen. Number one, but his opposition proves to you that you have what it takes. Number two, it shows you what's in you. But number three, when you face opposition, and one reason God lets you walk through it is because whenever you walk through what you were not supposed to have survived... But you survive it by his grace. You bring him glory that he would not have received any other way. Amen. Somebody in the building say hallelujah here today. You see, ultimately, it's not even about you. It's about him. The reason he's making you great is because he wants the glory for it. The reason he wants to elevate you and promote you is so that he can get honor for it. The reason he wants you to be successful is because he knows he's not going to get any credit if you're a derelict on the street and a bum walking through life without a direction. 
But when you have purpose and you have significance and you have value and you have a sense that this is what I'm here to do and your life is changing others and impacting their lives, he receives glory from that. Can somebody in the building say amen here today? And so principle number seven. Yes, you have a destiny, but you need to know right up front that Satan is going to oppose its development. And if you do develop it, he's then going to seek to pervert it to the wrong use, to tear down the kingdom. I've watched it in church. I've watched people that came in and got saved that used to shoot up heroin. I've watched people that got saved, used to do crack cocaine, get delivered, get set free by the grace of Almighty God, poverty stricken. I'm serious as I can be. I've ministered to people whose lives have been broken. And I'm not saying that like, like I'm somebody special because I'm not. But I've talked to people that have sold their bodies to get their necks fixed. Watched their marriages get torn into a thousand irreparable shreds and hopeless damage be done. You can't even repair it. Amen. Then get saved and set free. The next thing you know, they have a business and they're successful and they're making money. And instead of building the kingdom, with the influence they now have. I've watched these same people all of a sudden decide how they think, they, they think now I know how this ministry ought to be run or this Sunday school class or this church and go to causing problems in the very class they were taught the word of God. Hello, somebody? Amen. Opposing the very one that mentored them or trying to cause a problem in a church. We're big, we're big enough that doesn't happen here. But I've watched it on a smaller scale among people that ought to be every day of their lives saying, just thank you for saving me, Lord. Thank you for delivering me. If it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't even be here right now. Now, I wonder if there's anybody in the building today that can just lift their hand and say thank you because it had it not been for the Lord, had it not been for the Lord who was on my side, I'm going to close with one more principle. And that principle is simply this. And you hear me because this is important. The greater the opposition you face, the greater the destiny that God has set aside for you. You say, but I don't understand it. I've been going through hell. That's because God has something great in store for you. That's why. You don't know how powerful you were meant to be. God has things that he's going to do in your life that are going to astonish and astound you, your family and your friends. Just look at your neighbor and say, don't judge me just yet. Would you do that? Tell somebody, don't be surprised when I suddenly blossom and take off. You may think I'm a caterpillar right now, but hang on, baby. I may look like a lump of coal, but you just wait. There's a diamond inside getting at being formed under all this pressure. Hallelujah. The greater the opposition you face, the greater the destiny you have. If you don't believe it, ask Moses. Moses was created with a destiny that was incredible. Incredible. Chosen to be the deliverer of two and a half to three and a half million people. And do you know what happened? Because of the destiny that was on his life, Pharaoh said, I'll kill every male child two years of age and under until I know that by having wiped out this generation, I've gotten rid of Moses because I don't know who Moses is and I don't know where he's at. And you know what makes me laugh? Is Moses was in his own house, raised on eating his own food. Pharaoh was sending Moses to school and didn't even know he was. Oh, Lord. 
Amen. Pharaoh's trying to kill Moses and Moses is right there at his table calling him daddy. You better watch out. God can raise you up in circumstances you don't even know you can come from. Woo! God knows how to bring you out like nobody else can bring you out. But have you ever considered there was not another Hebrew male in all of Israel that when he was 25 years old had his 25th birthday but Moses? They didn't even have a 24th birthday because Pharaoh wiped out everybody from two years of age and under. So for a gap of two years, Moses had nobody his age celebrating his birthday that was a male in all of Israel. When he turned 40, he was the only Hebrew male that turned 40 that year. Think about it now. And some of you survived stuff that some of your friends didn't make it through. Oh, I'm talking to you right now. Some of them died in crack houses. Some of them are, are lost out there without God, don't even believe in God anymore. You survived it. You're here. Why? Why did you go through all of the resistance, all of the opposition? It's because God wasn't going to let you go down. God had a plan for your life. God has a destiny for you. You see, I need somebody to high-five somebody and say, I've made it through all of this. Would you do it? Mm. The greater the destiny, the greater the opposition, asked David. His brothers didn't go through what David went through. David spent years in the wilderness, between 15 and 17 years living in caves, fleeing from people like Saul. He had giants trying to kill him. His seven brothers never went through any of that. And some of your brothers haven't gone through what you've gone through. Some of your sisters haven't. Some of your neighbors haven't. Some of your classmates haven't. And you're complaining, God, you're so unfair. Look, let me tell you a secret about life. Can I help somebody out right now? Listen, I need to say something. I'm going to get down close to where some of us live. And no, I'm not going to apologize for it. I don't mean that unkindly, but I am going to help you if you will let me. There's two ways to gain significance in this world. One is to recognize who you are in God. Step up to the plate and do what God's called you to do. And say by doing this, you see me, I have talents and gifts. I am somebody. I am made in God's image. I count. I will make my life matter. That's what you do when you accept challenges. But on the other hand, what you can do is say, you see, and forgive me if I be a little facetious here. You see all this beauty and this perfection right here? You don't know it, but hidden behind all of that is this wounded, frail, and fragile creature. And so don't look at all this perfection. Look at my woundedness and my pain. Come and I will show you and tell you what I've been through. You gather around you people that, have, that are sympathetic because the church is a healing institution and people try to be altruistic. They want to help. And you can set people up and make suckers out of them and therefore become codependent with them. They're trying to help you and you don't want to be helped because that's how you get your significance. Oh, I didn't say that, did I? Uh, don't, you, don't you do that with your life. Tell somebody, don't waste your life. 
Come on, I mean, say it. Don't waste your life. You afraid to look at the person next to you? Just sit out of the side of your mouth. Don't waste your life. You know? <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Don't waste your life. Oh, life is too big. Amen. It's too grand. Yes, you've been through some things. David did. 17 years, 15 to 17 years in the wilderness. Look at Joseph again. Amen. Look at Jesus. In an effort to kill Jesus, Herod killed every male child in Bethlehem two years of age and under. Here's what happened. The, the, the wise men from the east came. And they, they went to Herod because Jerusalem was the political center of activity there. It was the hub of political activity. And they went to Herod, who was the king, the leading politician there. And they said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, Herod, by classic def de definition, was a paranoid schizophrenic. He was delusional. I'm not making that up. If you were to give him a psychoanalysis just by reading the description of Herod, he was a paranoid schizophrenic. He thought everybody was against him. He had delusions. He believed people were out to get him. So much so he had his own brother killed for that reason. Not only his own brother, his own sons. Because they're going to take over the family business someday. I'll kill him. I'll show them right now. They're not taking over this business. Well, you're going to die. Then who's going to take over it, huh? I mean, this is how bad this guy was. And so this green monster of envy rises inside of him whenever these three wise men come. But Herod is the consummate politician. And he says, oh, there's a new king born. Well, go tell me where he's, go find out where he's at and come tell me. And I will come worship him too. Like a commercial last week. He's a politician. Amen. He's really planning on killing Jesus. And whenever the wise men go and find Christ, God warns them in a dream. And you know what they do? They leave and go back to their country a different route. And Herod is frustrated. And you know what he does? He kills every male child two years of age and under in Bethlehem. But Joseph was also warned by God in a dream and took the baby and fled into Egypt from Herod. And there was a whole generation wiped out. What am I telling you? That the greater your destiny, the greater the opposition, the more angry hell will get. When you start getting close to whatever that is and you feel that passion rise up inside of you. Satan, if he can't stop it from being developed will seek to subvert it. And trust me, if you only have a little destiny, you're not going through much. But if you are here today saying, Pastor, I don't know what's going on. I've been through hell a dozen times. I can't figure it out. I want to tell you that's cause for shouting, ladies and gentlemen. You ought to be on your feet clapping your hands saying, I just found out that I've got a destiny that must be significant and powerful and mighty. Amen. You ought to be telling God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You ought to be in the aisle rejoicing, saying, I am somebody. My life was made to count. Woo! Lord, I feel the Holy Spirit in this place right now. And I have to say this before I'm done, because since we live in a fallen world, you do understand this, don't you? That you're not perfect. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
Anybody in this building born of the flesh? No, I, I want to know. Is there anybody who wasn't? Well, who knows? We just had Halloween. You never know what may be in the house there today. You were born of the flesh just like I was. And guess what? If you've got an enemy hot on your trail and you have a destiny that's significant and powerful, you can expect to make a mistake once in a while. Again, I can almost hear somebody saying, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I rebuke that. You're going to make mistakes. You can rebuke it all day long, but you're going to still make mistakes and rebuke it. It happens to be one of them. What you need to do is accept it as reality. The church has preached for so long the cross that we have failed that the opposite side of the cross, the same coin, but the opposite side is grace. Yes, we have to preach the cross, which is don't continue to live in sin, but we also have to preach grace. Grace will help you get through it, and grace will help you when you fail. I don't believe in all that fallen stuff. That's why people leave the church. Because they've met so much judgmentalism on the part of people that stand there and look perfect on the outside. But are full of judgmentalism on the inside. Mm -mm. Dare I deal with this? Should I? Thank you. I wanted you to invite me to, please. Thank you very much. I'm grateful. You've given me permission now, and I'll go ahead and do it, okay? You're going to make mistakes. A righteous man falls seven times. That's what the Bible says. He gets up and says, I'll never do it again, falls again. Gets up and says, I won't never do that again, falls again, and does it seven times. That's what a righteous man does. Hello, somebody. The thing about it is the enemy's telling you that if you ever made a mistake, you blew it. You lost your destiny. Because not only will they cause you to have so much hell that you can't help but make a mistake because you're human. After you made one, he stands there and points at you and says, uh-huh, you done messed up now. And our churches are filled with people that don't want to do anything for God because they don't think they can. That are not active because somewhere along the line they made a mistake. Moses made one mistake, raised in Pharaoh's palace, educated in the finest universities of his day, at the feet of scholars, next in line to be Pharaoh, made one mistake. Granted, it was a pretty big one. He killed a guy. Amen. <laughs> made one mistake. Amen. And thought he blew his destiny. Spent the next 40 years on the backside of a desert somewhere. Amen. And after 40 years, don't you think he's wondering, what did that education do me? I'm not even, I don't even have my own business. I'm taking care of somebody else's sheep. They're not even my own. Oh, get out of here, you ugly lamb. You don't belong to me anyway. Amen. I'm 40 years taking care of somebody else's flock. Uh, you say, Oh, that's bad. Oh, we're at the same place. Some of you thought you should have had your own business by now. You're asking, what did all I go through? What did all those years of university produce for me? Some of you are saying, I should have had my own ministry by now. Some of you are saying, like Moses, I should have, had, I should have been married by now. Amen. Instead, you've been through pain and anguish and you've been through disappointment and relationships. Some of you have still not launched your own career. I'm talking to some young people that thought by now you'd have your own house. You'd be driving a Porsche. Amen. 
Instead, you're still living with mom and daddy boring the car on family car on Friday night. Ask him daddy for 20 bucks so you can go get a pizza. You know what I mean? And you were going to tell him how to make money when you got his age. Oh, yes, you were. Uh-huh. Yeah, and look what's happened. Some of us are saying it's too late. It isn't. I'm here to tell you that the same grace of God that put calling and destiny on your life will never let it go. The song the choir sang earlier, God doesn't let go, is exactly right. How many of you as parents, as I asked earlier, have ever held the hand of your child instead of letting it hold yours because you're going through some rough areas? I'm talking to somebody you need to know these rough places you're going through. You're not holding God's hand. He's holding yours. You're not here because you're so strong. Oh, no. Uh Uh-uh. You say, but you don't know what I did. It doesn't matter. What you need to understand is you still have a destiny. I've got a word for somebody. God is not through using you. You didn't hear what I said, so I'm going to say it again. You didn't hear what I said. I'm going to say it again. Are you ready? This is a word for somebody. God is not through using you. You haven't lost your destiny. You haven't lost your anointing. You haven't lost your future. You haven't lost your mission. You haven't lost your purpose. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. I'm closing with this. I'm closing. Be seated just a moment longer. The Bible said the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And the word repentance is the Greek word metanoia. And what it means is to change one's mind. When you repent, God's asking you to change your mind. You don't live for the enemy in a world of sin anymore. You change your mind and say, I want to be a child of God. And that verse that says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance or metanoia means that when God gives you those gifts, he doesn't change his mind. He knew you were going to mess up, but you don't know what I did. Was it murder? Moses still had a ministry. Hello, somebody. David committed murder, still had a ministry. You say, I messed up my marriage. David messed up his, still had an anointing. Hello, somebody. You say, but that means I can just go on and do what I want. No, 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 no. The same The cross that causes us to practice self-denial also has grace to help us make it through those times when we have erred. And what I'm trying to say today is simply this, that the enemy will oppose the development of your ministry. And then after he does uh, that and fails, then what he's going to try to do is overload you with so much opposition That you simply cannot stand against the tide of it. And he knows going into it that you're human and flesh and you're going to make a mistake. And one of his greatest weapons is when you do, he's going to be there to point at you and laugh at you. Because he is, according to Revelation, the accuser of the brethren. Hello, somebody. Oh, you can go to church and they'll even do that. They'll pick up stones. Want to cast them at you. But Jesus bends over and writes in the sand. 
and says, let the one that is without sin start with the first stone. Why? Because he's trying to tell you, you still have a destiny. I need you to turn to somebody because you don't even know who you're talking to and say, you still have a destiny. Would you do that? You still have a future. Yes, you do. 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 Stand with me across this building right now, if you would, please. And I want our prayer counselors to come. God, I feel such an anointing in this place. You're walking through opposition right now. And there are you. You are rebuking the devil and saying, this isn't God's will. And yet God's the one that stepped back and let it happen. Now you're going to get mad at God? Uh-uh, because it's what you're going through that's going to show you what's inside of you. That's going to develop what's inside of you. That's going to show others God's grace in you. Yeah. You say, but it's been tough, Pastor. You don't know everything I, I've faced. Yeah. It's because your destiny is greater than you realize it is. So what do you really want? You want to opt out? You want to just live an average life? You content to be an anonymous, faceless, number in society that nobody knows that lives their life never makes an impact like a finger pulled out of a bucket of water when you go you won't even leave a hole to mark the place where you had been that's what you want no destiny or would you rather that when you leave this world somebody says there was greatness that person made an impact in my life. That person touched a city, touched the world, touched me, touched a church, touched God, touched the community. Would you rather make your life count? I want to tell you that in my estimation, it's not worth living a life that doesn't make a difference. And God created you to be a world changer. And I want to open this altar and ask everybody to come and join me. 